If you would, please open up your Bibles and join me now. We're going to be in our, um, the, re- the reading today is in Genesis chapter 13. So um, if you're not familiar, uh, very beginning of the Bible, first couple of pages will get you there. Um, first part of the first book in Scripture. We're going to start at verse 5. And while you're looking that up, I want to give you just, and, and I want you to open it up. Sometimes it's like, ah, he's going to put it on the screen. But we're going to go back to some things and we're going to go forward. So I want you to have it in front of you. If you're at home, go find your Bible, bring it back in front of the screen. And I want to give you a very brief introduction while you're looking that up um, of where we are. We're, we're following today the story of Abraham. And at this point, he's known as Abram. And he and his nephew Lot are settling back in the land of Canaan after a season of famine where they had to go to Egypt. And Abraham has been blessed with a lot of material possessions as has his nephew Lot. And in the midst of all of this arises a conflict. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter 13. Let's begin here at verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives." Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, and the, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were faced with a conflict and your response to that conflict was, you know what? this isn't worth it. You ever have that response? I I think of a couple of different scenarios where that seems to be somewhat natural. Sometimes it's because it's so insignificant that it just isn't worth it. Maybe somebody cuts you off in traffic, it bothers you, but you're like, you know what, this isn't worth it. Or maybe the last couple of years there's been such a shortage of staff in the service industry. If you notice, if you go out to eat, maybe sometimes they, you tell them not to put onions on your cheeseburger and they put onions on your cheeseburger. And a couple of years ago, maybe you would have said something, but now you just, you have a heart for just how hard people are working and you say, you know what, it just isn't worth it, right? It's just, it's insignificant. That's one reason we might use that. Another scenario is more passive aggressive. Somebody says or does something, it really makes you mad and you say, you know what, this isn't worth it. I think about like if, if I'm upset with my wife, Alyssa, and she says, what's wrong? And I look at her and I say, Alyssa, you know what, it is, this isn't worth it. She's not going to let that go. (laughs) We're going to continue to have a conversation. She's not going to believe me when I say this isn't worth it. 
But then you have another scenario. This is the scenario we're going to talk about today. It's when you're faced with a conflict and you say, you know what, this isn't worth it. It's not because it's insignificant. And it's not because you're being passive aggressive or you're stuffing something. But it's because you are choosing to make a choice. A choice that's informed by the past, that values the relationship in front of you, and that is investing in the future. See, sometimes in conflict, we have the right perspective. We're on the right side of the argument, and it still isn't necessarily right or best to act out of that position. Sometimes it just isn't worth it. And that's what we see here in our reading today in the story in Genesis. Today's the third Sunday in our series we're calling Dealing with Conflict When Everyone Seems Ready to Explode. I've asked before, how many of you are feeling that way in some sphere of your life? Show of hands. Where a lot of people around you are just at that boiling point, at that edge. If it isn't them, it might be you, right? Our fuses are shorter, our skin is thinner, our tensions feel greater. And I point that out because I feel like that's exactly what we're finding ourselves in between Abraham and Lot. Uh, And so I want to go back a little bit and kind of show you why I say that. We're in the book of Genesis. If you're not familiar with this book, there's two kind of primary sections. The first section is the origin story of creation and the origin story of humanity. You've got where, where God is and how God created everything and who is God and where does it all come from and where does sin begin and and where do we come from and all of those questions are broached in the first section of Genesis and then you get to the second section and it's the origin story of God's people, the nation of Israel and they all came through a family the descendants of a man named Abraham and and God calls these people through a covenant between he and Abraham to have a purpose that is to be set apart by God that they might be used by him to bring hope to the world. I'll fast forward very quickly to the story. Jesus comes from the people of Abraham. And so this is the beginning. This is the covenant between God and Abraham. And it's all captured in chapter 12. Take a look at this, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. See, when the Lord comes to you and he calls you to go somewhere, you do what Abraham did. You go. And that's what he did. He went with his wife and he went with his nephew, Lot. And quite a bit of history takes place in just a few verses between this part of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13 where Lot and Abraham are in tension or in conflict. What happens, they settle into this new land God has called them into. There's a famine And then they end up having to go back to Egypt because they don't have anything where they're at. And they live there for a season. And they arrive there and Abraham is terrified. And the reason he's terrified is because his wife Sarah is so beautiful, so beautiful, that that he is afraid that he will be killed because she's beautiful. And I think about that and I think, man... I am so, is, is Alyssa listening? I am so glad that husbands of beautiful wives are not killed today. <laughs> 
I said that at the 8 o'clock service, and nobody laughed. And I said, I'm really saying it for the 9.30, because that's when she's coming. But in all sincerity, okay, this is a real thing. And we laugh at this, at this situation. But the, the reality was Sarah was very beautiful. And coming into Egypt, chances are the Pharaoh would want her to become one of his many wives. And Egyptians were very well known for being ethical people. Now, that might sound contradicting. They were not known for being moral people, but they were called for being ethical. They were known for being ethical people. And so if the Pharaoh wanted to have her as one of his wives, he would need, if she was married, to take care of whoever she was married to first. And so Abraham comes up with this grand plan to make sure that that doesn't happen. Verse 13, he says to his wife, say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I think of it like this, like when you were a kid or maybe you have kids and maybe you've done this, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, Did you ever go into a restaurant and parent says to the child, I know you're 12, but they charge twice as much if you're over 11. And so today you're 11. Has anybody experienced that? Same thing on steroids, right? Like like this is on a whole nother level. And, And then you put yourself in Abraham's shoes. And you're like, wait a minute, just a few verses before I read, God gave Abraham a promise, right? He's got this grand purpose for generations to come and that his life is going to be used for the blessing of the whole world. Jesus himself is going to come from his people. And yet in this moment of fear, he doesn't trust That if God has given him a great purpose, God is going to protect him and make sure that he survives through this particular season. And he resorts to lying. And we read the story because it's so obnoxious, and we judge Abraham. But before we judge Abraham, I think, man, how many times have I lived in the same moment of fear? How many times have you lived in that moment? You know the promises of God. You know God is protecting you. You know you're a child of his. You've been baptized, right? Many of you raised your hand. You've already been baptized. You know all of this. And yet how easy in our fear is it to lose track and to forget God's promises? Now, I'll share with you a story that says nothing to do with lying. I don't know how it came to my mind except that it was a moment where I was losing track of God's promises. Alyssa was... um, she, was, she went to, to church at her dad's church recently. Her dad's a pastor. And she told me the message that day, he was talking about music. And he talked about the significance of music and how um, we all have a soundtrack. I remember Pastor uh, Tom Hilker, who led worship here for a number of years, he always talked about this too. And you can think of it, right? Like, like think back when you were in high school or college. Like you kind of have a soundtrack to those formative seasons in your life. And for a person of faith, that's going to also include hymns. That's going to include praise songs. And it might be things that you grew up in. We sang, this is my father's world at the first service. And that's definitely a part of my soundtrack of faith. Um, it could be songs that were sung at at. at, at important funerals of people in your life who were very deeply connected to you and that you you felt such deep loss and a song that was sung during that service just it becomes permanently etched in your mind as as a song maybe you went through a time of struggle and there was a song or a hymn that you turned to to be reminded that God is with you again and again and again and and so Alyssa and I were talking about this and she's like so so what's your songs and we were we were reflecting how on how uh, in particular the last 
last several years, there, there's a couple of songs we both had. They're different songs that we kept going back to. I don't even think we talked about this. I'm looking back at Alyssa. I don't know that at the time we really did. She's nodding no, or she's still wondering why I was embarrassing her earlier in the sermon. Uh, but I don't think we talked about this at the time, but we had two or three songs as we were going through um, our journey of foster care and adoption. And if you've been around for a while, you know that it was, it was a, a journey and has and continues to be a journey, but it was a journey of, of great highs and incredible lows, as, as anything that is hard is. And uh, we were going through a particularly difficult season uh, with one of the children that was, was placed with us. And I'll tell you, I have not learned in anything in church or anywhere else, I don't think I've learned as much as I have through foster care, the truth that my children are not my own, they're God's. And I think about Rob Thomas, and I said it to his parents at the last service because they were here. Like, like, they need to know that their son is not their own as they're sending him off to college, right? But, but I have learned that as a foster parent, that my foster kids, that my adopted kids, that my biological kids, they're not my own. <laughs> they're God's. Because when you're a foster parent, you have all the love for the children you're caring for and none of the control over their future. That's the reality of what that is. And so we were in that, without going into any other details, that's where we were, and it was a particularly difficult season we were going through. And I was up in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, I was up there for a church conference, and I went to seminary up there, it was at Bethel Seminary, so I'm very familiar with certain parts of, of the cities, and I was on I-35, and I'll never forget, my phone was blowing up with some conflict that was going on in this world that we were in with a child that was placed with us, and and. And I was terrified of where this was going to lead. And, and I like, like to tears, I was just full of anxiety in that moment. And I walked into the conference, and it was a church conference, and the worship had started. And I walked into the worship setting, and the song that they were singing was No Longer Slaves by Bethel Music. And these were the words that were up on the screen. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I don't know what you hear when you see those words. I know Pammy was going through the slides this morning. She said, I love that song. I'm sure she has a story. But for me, in that particular moment, the reason that those words mattered so much is because it brought me back to the place where I remembered what I already knew, what I had already been told, a promise that I had heard and preached countless times, that our position above and beyond any position on earth is as adopted sons and daughters of God, that my children, biological, foster, adopted, no matter what, they are his. God loves your kids more than you do. And that sounds scary, and some parents hear that, and they think, oh, but I can't tell my kid that. I tell my kids that. All the time I tell my kids that. Not because it diminishes my love for them. I love them as much as I humanly can, but I am not perfect, and I did not create them. God did. And I read those words as I'm terrified for the future of one of my children, and I remembered that they're not mine, that they're his. And in that moment of that song, I gave them back to God. That's what I had to do. And then the chorus went like this. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I sang those words 
And I could almost, it wasn't audible, but I could hear God speaking through them into my soul and saying to me, Tom, this song isn't just about your kids. This song is about you. You are my child too. I am caring for you just like I'm caring for them. You are not a slave to fear. I will take care of the children that I have entrusted into your care. And he has. It's a beautiful, wonderful, redemptive story. But it's hard to trust it in the middle of it, isn't it? So easy to be afraid. This is just, this had nothing to do with Abraham, but it's just another, I could give you so many examples of where I have forgotten the promises that I know up here, but everywhere else in my being seems to have forgotten. And so I look at Abraham, and I want to judge him for reaching out and lying about his relationship with his wife because he's afraid, but I can't judge him because I've been there. I get it. Life can be scary. Fear is a real thing, and we could all point to moments where we forget who we are and we forget whose we are. And I, and I share that because that is exactly what's taking place right here. Look at verse 14 of chapter 12. Abram came to Egypt... The Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Now, I just want to point this out. Notice that Abraham's wealth is amassed through this unjust, dishonest situation, right? You know, we look back at the past sins of, of, of ourselves and our family and our nation and all that kind of stuff. Like, you see the same cycle in Scripture. And so that's what's going on right here. And it seems to be working, right? That is until it didn't work anymore. Verse 17, the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. And so Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say that she is my sister and so that I took her to be my wife? Now that here is your wife, take her, go. And the Pharaoh gave orders about Abram and to his men and they sent them on his way with his wife and everything he had, you know what the Pharaoh said to Abram? You know what? This isn't worth it. Get out of here. Take your stuff. Don't let the door hit you as you go. That's what the Pharaoh said to Abraham, and that's what happened. He took his stuff, he took his people, and he went with everything, and that's what happened, and that is the history and the context out of which we get to Genesis 13. That is exactly what happened before we read the conflict between Abraham and Lot. And the reason I'm sh sharing with you that whole story that isn't even the story we came here to study today is to show us that conflict never occurs in a vacuum. Conflict never occurs in a vacuum. The same is true for you and me. If you fight over what you're doing after church today, who's going to go buy milk or what you're eating for dinner, it never occurs in a vacuum. Significant conflicts or insignificant conflicts all have to do with everything going on around us. Have you ever been walking around one day and you just feel particularly down? 
You ever feel particularly shamed or guilty or sad or grieved? We're all walking around in the context of the life that is ours collectively and individually. Personal shame from past mistakes are mixed motives in our circumstances. Choices, consequences, impacts that the world around us has on us that are different and unique to us compared to different people. I know going through the pandemic, one of the best um, one of the best examples that I thought was shared early on is that we're all in the same storm, but our boats look very different. And I think the same is true in life. The same is true in conflict. Conflict never occurs in a vacuum. And so that's the context that this conflict occurs in. And this is where we get to our reading today, verse 5. Now Lot was moving about with Abram, and, he also, and Lot also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose among Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Now I look at all of this and I can't help but wonder how many parallels we could draw between our situation in the world today and the situation that we're reading about right there. On one hand, Abraham and Lot are both very blessed. Like physically, they're blessed. Materially, they're blessed. They've got great wealth. They've left Egypt. Um, Abraham doesn't have to lie about his wife being his sister anymore. That's got to feel pretty good to get out from underneath that lie. But on the other hand, sometimes Having a lot can in and of itself create conflict. Having a lot creates complexity. If you own a business and your business grows, suddenly you've got more to manage. You've got more staff. You've got more resources. If you make more money, you've got more to invest, more to lose, more things that you buy that have to be taken care of. And I look at our world and I see so many parallels to what we're seeing here in Genesis. In our world, we've got so much to be grateful for. I think about this year, and I think, man, it's rain that has forced us indoors, right? We were supposed to have a splish-splash event. Two weeks ago, we had an outdoor worship service. That's summer of 2022. Compare that to the summer of 2020, right? It's a very different world that we're living in right now. There's so many things that we have to be grateful for. It's not a presidential election year, amen, right? Like there's good things about the world that we're living in today, and yet there's still a lot of challenges. There's still a lot of challenges, and a lot of the challenges we have are directly related to our blessings, right? We have supply chain issues. Well, that's because we have a supply chain. We have economy issues. Well, that's because we have uh, an economy with a lot going on. Managing our resources, our economy, our environment, are not, are not those the things we're fighting about? Are not those the things that so often on a personal or on a global level we just can't agree with? We have much to be thankful for and much to be challenged by. And all of that creates the perfect storm for conflict just like it did for Abraham and Lot. And so how do you handle it? What do you do if that's the world that you're living in? If that's the pond you're swimming in? Verse 8, Abram says to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If I go right, 
If you go right, I'll go left. Is that not a very different Abraham than you saw just the chapter before who's lying about his wife being a sister? It's a very, very different Abraham than we saw just a few verses before. This time, he says to his nephew Lot, you know what? It isn't worth it. And it's not because it's insignificant. And it's not because he's stuffing it down or being passive-aggressive. Actually, one of the Hebrew scholars that I read said that these words are clear, firm, and polite. That his request to his nephew is assertive and well thought out and reasoned. And I believe that the only reason that Abraham is able to act out of this way in the midst of his conflict, there's actually three things that we can learn in the midst of the conflicts we face as well. The first one is this. Abraham has been humbled by his own past mistakes. He's been humbled by the fact that he has not been perfect either. He recognizes, you see this? The men are fighting, right? Abraham and Lot, they haven't really gotten into it yet, but Abraham doesn't get in front of them and go, you know what, we're above that. We're above that. I'm more mature than that. God has called me and my people. We're not gonna fight like they're gonna, not gonna fight. I think about that and I think that's the same thing I tell myself when I'm stuck in my house with my five children for a length of time. I can argue with a three-year-old. <laughs> I can do it. I can get right down on that level. You know why? Because I'm not any better than he is. I'm not. And Abraham isn't either. And he knows enough to know about his limitations. And he looks out at everything. And he's like, there's too much going on here. We are going to fight. And we are family. And so we've got to split up. We've got to do something. We've got to let this go. And, and I don't have time to get into it. We're actually going to get into it in the fall. We're going to go through the whole book. But Jesus' brother James says in James chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about conflict. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We all have that. It's just what's going on. On this side of eternity, we are all dealing with simultaneously being sinners and saints at the same time. And so he goes on in the rest of the chapter to kind of describe our all of us are sinful. We all have a need for grace. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and God is the one who will lift you up. Abraham has been humbled. He's been humbled, and he trusts that God is going to do what only God can do to care for their future. And it leads to the second thing we learn. Abraham has the courage that comes from knowing that he's been called by God. He has the courage from knowing that he has been called by God. He has been reminded of a promise that was made to him in the past. Just like I needed to be reminded of the promise of God in that, in that conference in the Twin Cities several years ago. He was reminded that God has a plan and a purpose for him in his life. And so he knows that because that's true, it doesn't really matter which direction he goes. God will prevail. He doesn't need to be afraid. And last but not least, Abraham values his relationship with Lot above everything else. He values his relationship with his nephew before everything else. He values it specifically over material possessions. 
and over land that doesn't really belong to him to begin with, right? It's all been given to him. It's a gift. It's all grace. And friends, I don't care how hard you've worked, the same is true for you. You know, you know the phrase like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? I always, whenever I hear that, if I have a chance to ask a question, I ask, who gave you your bootstraps, <laughs> Right? And some of us were born with thicker ones, and some of us were born with thinner ones, and the reality of the truth of the matter is we've all been given everything we have. It's all grace. God has a plan. It's a gift. And Abraham knows this. And because he knows this, it leads him to be able to have the faith to take the high road in this conflict with his nephew and say, you know what? It isn't worth it. Verse 10, Lot looked around, And he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted ways. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, if we kept going, we don't have time, but if we did... You would see that Lot and Abram go their separate ways and they live happily ever after in the very rest of all of the Bible, this whole part, there's not a single conflict among humanity in any story in the rest of the Bible. Thank you for laughing. Herb has read the Bible (laughs) and he knows that that is the furthest thing from the truth. There's going to continue to be conflict throughout all of scripture. The greener grass, literally greener grass that Lot chooses is in the midst of the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah and the very next chapter, Abraham is going to have to rescue his nephew or he's going to die. But Abraham does it and he does it because he has been there himself. He's made poor choices in the past. He's been humbled by the fact that he needs grace just as much as the next person. He knows God's called him in his life to bless the world around him, and he values his relationship with Lot above everything else, and so he does. I'll leave you with this story. I'll tell you how I felt like it tied together. Uh, Stuart Briscoe. Um, Anybody here know the name Stuart Briscoe? Show of hands. Um, He was the pastor emeritus of Elmbrook Church in Brookfield for years and years. It was the largest church in Wisconsin. Um, He is an author. He is a missionary. Um, He spent time, he was personal friends with Billy Graham um, and just has an incredible um, legacy of life and ministry. And this last week, he uh, passed away at the age of 91 uh, in his sleep from natural causes. And, and I didn't know Stuart personally, um, but I do. I've got family and, and, and friends that I know who have been mentored by him, who have been raised up as pastors by him. Uh, Lisa Falcon, who's led worship here, she's led in his church before. And I've, I've been able to see the fruit of his ministry. And both he and his wife, Jill, have an exceptional gift to communicate the gospel with grace and wisdom in a way that, that is far too lacking in our world today. Just incredible people. And so when I heard that he passed away, I, I, I went back and, and I wanted to see the last time he publicly spoke in his church. And I, I found that he had just done an interview. Um, they, they interviewed him at Elmbrook uh, just this past January, 2022. 
And at the very beginning of the message, they asked him how he and Jill were doing. They wanted to share an update. And this is how he answered the question. He said, Jill and I are doing very well considering the circumstances. Notice I didn't say under the circumstances. We're not called to live under our circumstances. Unfortunately, we're also not capable of living above our circumstances, but we are called and equipped to live well within our circumstances. And so in our circumstances, we are doing well. And I really like that. And then he went on to say, what are those circumstances? He said, there's three things. He had stage four cancer. He said, I'm 91 years old. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's one of the circumstances. And he said, I'm navigating, my wife and I are navigating a global pandemic. Those are the three things. Those are the circumstances that he's living in. And, and while I, I know that he wasn't referring to conflict, I thought, man, does that not absolutely apply to what we're talking about today? Our call, your call. I don't have in the sermon series, some of you have been coming every week because you're like, some, at some point by the end, he's going to have three happy hops to get rid of conflict in our lives forever. <laughs> okay? If I do walk out because I drank some Kool-Aid <laughs> that was not good and you need to leave because I don't possess that wisdom. The only way that's going to come is for Jesus to return. We can't change the tension that we're living in, but we can change how we live within the tension. We can change how we live within the circumstances. And like Abraham, it begins with humbling ourselves, being mindful that we are just as in need of God's grace and forgiveness as anybody else. It is to remember not only our mistakes, but also our calling, and it is to value the relationships before us above everything else. And unlike Abraham, we do it not because we know God, but we also know his son, Jesus. We know Jesus who himself was humbled, not by his own mistakes, but that he came to be humbled by yours and mine. He took them upon himself. He never forgot the purpose and calling on his life, which was to come down from heaven and to save you and me from the ultimate conflict that leads to our death, that we might rise with him because the story of the good news of the gospel is that God values his relationship with you above everything else in all of creation. Amen? And so let's, let's pray on that truth right now. As we come before you, God, we, we are mindful that we need to be encouraged by your love for us. That our best defense in walking out those doors and being a positive representation of the kingdom in the midst of the conflicts that we face in our relationships is not finding some secret sauce that's going to get us out of conflict, but it is to live well within the conflict and the tensions that we face in this world, because the reality is, I don't think they're going away, at least not until you return, and you will return. You came once and you're coming back and you have shown us what this looks like. Abraham lived this imperfectly. He would go on and make more mistakes because he was just like us. And yet you used him 
to begin a nation that would bring forth the Savior of the world. And if you can use an imperfect man like Abraham that way, what way in which can you use us, imperfect sons and daughters of God, who so quickly forget your promises? If we would humble ourselves before you, that you might be the one to lift us up. God, if there's a conflict right now that somebody walked into these doors with, and I've got to believe that there is for so many, all of us probably, let us think back on that. The conflicts that we're in the midst of, help us to be reminded of our need of grace that we might be humbled. Help us to discern the way in which we can value the person before us. And help us not to forget that you have called us to be persons of peace in the world around us, not to stuff conflict, not to be passive-aggressive about it, but to be mindful that from an eternal kingdom perspective, you have done what it takes to take care of all conflict in this world. You've taken care of it for us in the way in which we operate in our relationships and our lives can be an outpouring of that good news of the way in which you love us as we love others. Help us to be those instruments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.